Welcome. You are listening to the Better Together podcast with Callie and Rosario Picardo. We take on topics involving marriage, ministry, parenting, communication, relationships, and other subjects that our listeners want to hear more about. Welcome to the Better Together podcast. I'm your co-host, Rosario Picardo. And I'm Callie Picardo. And we are so excited today to have Rachel Cruz with us. She's a number one New York Times bestselling author. She works uh, with her dad, Dave Ramsey, at Ramsey Solutions and also has the Rachel Cruz show. She's written multiple books, um, but I'm really, we're really excited to talk with her today about her new book, Know Yourself, Know Your Money. Rachel, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely, you guys. Thanks for having me on. I so appreciate it. Well, tell us um, about your new book, Know Yourself, Know Your Money. Yeah, I was excited to write this because at Ramsey, we've spent 30 years now teaching people how to handle their money and knowing the ins and outs, tactically speaking with money is very important. Knowing how to budget, how to get out of debt, how to invest, uh, how to give wisely, all of that. Uh, But as the years have gone on, I've just realized, man, you know, what if I went underneath that foundation of just the how and really understood the why? Okay, so why do we handle money the way we do? Why have we gotten ourselves deeply in debt? Why do I have a problem budgeting? Why do I love to save or hate to save, you know, whatever it is, but what's that why? Because if you can kind of fix your why and understand yourself, that helps you establish good money habits so much easier. And in your book, you talk, some of it starts way back at childhood, the different, you call money classrooms that we grow up in. Can you tell us a little bit about what are those classrooms? Yeah. I mean, when it comes to why you handle money the way you do it, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why it's personality, it's your tendency, it's your fears, it's your dreams, but a lot of it starts with your childhood (laughs) and it's going back to say, okay, in your in your home growing up, what was money like? Was What was the conversation like? What was the emotion like? And really pinpointing that is really huge. And so when I was writing the book, I realized that money's really communicated in two ways in a household. It's communicated verbally, obviously, and then it's also communicated emotionally. And so as I was writing and I was like, oh my gosh, this like creates this quadrant. And I was like, oh God, you gave me a graph. Thank you, Jesus. This makes so much sense. A woman after my own heart. I love it. I know. I know. I was like, oh, oh, all this intersects and it's wonderful. (laughs) And so, yeah, it really creates these four money classrooms depending upon, again, whether you're, you were verbally in in a household verbally where money was talked about, it was very open or it was closed and emotionally, whether it was stressed or it was calm. So it ended up being these four different types. I, uh, you know, it's funny when I do premarital counseling, I'll ask, you know, the couple how money was viewed and handled in their household. And it's always um, a question that really gets them thinking that they've never really thought about before and they've never talked to each other about before. And I just, I really find that interesting as they set out on their own path to have um, a practice of stewardship. So, yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's really important because I'm like, it, it, it shapes so much. And what I found researching this book was either people just mirrored exactly what they knew. So whether you grew up, you know, for one, 
for one of the classrooms, it's the unstable money classroom. And this is where it's verbally open and emotionally stressed. So you heard conflict, you heard fighting. And so, you know, when you grew up in that classroom, either you just kind of mirror and you think, okay, well, I guess if we talk about money, it's going to have conflict and it's not going to be fun. Or people just did the exact opposite where they actually shut down and they thought it's not worth engaging a conversation about it because it's not worth the fight. And so I'm not even going to engage a conversation with my spouse about it. So seeing that picture of like, man, there's this beautiful balance in all of it. Right. But, but where people can either just take what they learned and they don't even think about it. So they just replicate exactly what they saw or they go and do the exact opposite, which isn't always healthy either. Well, and you talk about fear too. So there's the classrooms that are a piece of underlying how you get to your why of money, but they're also so often fears that underlying uh, those things and can hold us back. How can, how do we establish those, figure out what those fears are and how do we overcome them? Yeah. You know, fear is really interesting. I was talking to Dr. Chip Dodd again about this book uh, when I was writing it. And I love what he said about fear. He said, fear actually can be a gift because it's your body's response that you are in need of something. And so whether a bear is chasing you and you are fearful, well, yeah, your body's telling you run, or or I don't know what you do with a bear. Maybe you act dead, (laughs) whatever it is, but like your body's telling you I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. And so listening to your body in that, I think is really important. So when money conversations happen or money situations happen and fear rises up, you feel that level of anxiety, listen to that and ask, okay, why why am I becoming fearful in this? And when you can point out that why, then you could say, oh, okay, it's because I don't feel safe or I don't feel secure. So what do you do about that? Well, you start working your way out of debt and building an emergency fund, you know, or you're thinking, oh, I want to do this thing and I feel urgent to do it because it's been my dream, but I just feel like time is running out. Okay, well then let's put a plan in place where maybe you don't do that exact thing if it's not in the books for you, but let's find something like that that you can enjoy because life, you should enjoy it. So again, it's just listening to those fears and not letting them really motivate you. Cause I think fear can be a terrible motivator uh, and not letting it cripple you and paralyze you, but to take it for what it is and seeing it kind of as a gift of like, okay, I'm fearful in this. So now what are the steps I need to do uh, to overcome it? Is there one of the fears that's most common that you see most often? <laughs> yeah. It's the fear of if something happens, am I going to be okay? It's kind of that financial security fear. And what's interesting is pre-pandemic, actually, when I wrote this book, I wrote this before the pandemic and did all the edits during 2020. So I actually took out a couple of things and added more because I was like, oh, our world is just, it's different now even. Um, But pre-pandemic, it was women's number one financial fear. So whenever I would speak to audiences and we kind of like talked about the subject, you know, I'd ask people to raise their hands for certain things. And oh, almost every woman in the audience, it's this financial security. But nowadays, honestly, everything we've gone through as a culture the last two and a half years. And even now, right, we're talking about inflation. I mean, stuff is just happening that feels so unsteady. That is that is the ultimate. And and it's and I understand it. Why? Why? Because 78 percent of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. I saw a recent stat that it was less than 40 percent of Americans can cover a five hundred dollar emergency now in cash. Like when you are strapped and something does happen. Yeah. The math is going to show you we really may not be okay. Like we really may not be able to make those bills. And so, again, not letting that paralyze you, but letting that be a wake up call to say, okay, how do I get more in control of my money where my money is not just dictating and controlling my life? What are some of those first steps people take? I know you all have 
through Ramsey Solutions, you all teach and preach a lot of this, but for some of those that might not have gone through financial peace or read any of the books, what are some of those starting blocks that people can take to get over that just fear of not having enough? Yeah, I think, honestly, the budget for me is huge. When you can have a budget, and I'm a natural spender, free spirit. So like the budget for me was the hardest thing for me personally to like do and actually live out. Uh, but it, it will, it will change your life. It will give you a level of, again, control and not bad control, but, but good stewardship. Like you were saying, Ross, like, like you are taking what God has given you and you are managing it really well. You're in charge of it that he's given you. And so you're going to lay out exactly what you need to do. So a zero-based budget is your income for the month minus all of your expenses, including giving and saving should equal zero. So every dollar coming in is assigned to a category. So that's just a great place to start because it kind of gives you that um, state of the union, if you will, a little bit of your finances to say, okay, here's actually what we're spending. And what's hard when you do your first budget is I always recommend going back to your bank account the last probably three months and averaging, going through and totaling, it'll take you a little bit, but just sit there and do it. Averaging what you spent at the grocery, averaging what you spent going out to eat, averaging what your Amazon packages were <laughs> and all of your, yeah, everything's showing up at your door, averaging your gas, like go through and just get a picture. Okay. Here's what we are spending on average and list that out. But then know now with the budget, your goal is to cut some of that because if you've lived without a budget, you're overspending because you're not being intentional. So the budget, you actually can sit there and say, okay, we could actually lower this. If we were on purpose with it, we could actually save money here, here, and here. And it just gives you this, again, a little bit of that level of peace of, okay, that, and then getting out of debt would be the second, I would say, um, is just start working your way out of debt, smallest debt to largest debt. And when you don't owe anyone anything, yeah, it, that gives you a lot of freedom and peace. So um, talk to us a little bit about dreaming too. So dreams can be a motivator, you know, fears can be a motivator, but so can dreams, especially when you're thinking of saving and working toward goals. But I think a lot of people right now are just trying to make it. I mean, how do you move into that dreaming space and how do you work toward a dream if you're, you you haven't really saved? Mm -hmm. Yes. No, it's a great question. Yeah. So dreaming for me, it pairs so much with savings, like people that don't have a lot of savings, I'm like, okay, what are your goals? What are your dreams? What do you want to do? And sometimes it's like, oh, I don't know. So I'm like, that's a reflection obviously of your saving. And so when you have a goal in place or you have something that you want to do, you know, you can go tactically and say, Hey, let's back out of it. But I also would ask the question, okay, so why, hmm. what is that dream? And can that dream can that itch kind of be scratched a different way? And so, you know, people are like, my dream is to have a beach house. And I'm like, okay, so <laughs> why? Uh-huh. It's like, well, I love the beach and I want to be able to have friends and family over and a good place to just get away and unplug. Okay, so why do you want to get away and unplug? Because I'm stressed and I feel like life is really demanding. Okay, why is it demanding? Like you just kind of keep asking those why questions to get to why is that dream what it is? And are there things you can do, really small things that still get the outcome of the quote unquote beach house or whatever that dream is uh, without having to go and purchase a... <laughs> who knows how much beach house, right? Uh, maybe you could get there one day and obviously that'd be an amazing goal. Um, but just to look to say, okay, what are things I can do in my life now that I, those dreams can be seen in my everyday life? Because I think that's what gives you joy and knowing the why behind it, I think is obviously really important. Um, one of the things, you know, talking about dreaming and, um, a lot of us had dreams pre-pandemic and you've kind of touched on this a little bit, but what if your income was impacted, 
during COVID-19? I mean, any thoughts on what one would do? Yeah. And a lot of people were, I mean, obviously complete industries shut down and some never even came back because of just the change of everything from remote work or, you know, everything. So yeah, I would say the the good thing is a little bit of the silver lining in our world today, even though there's a looming recession and inflation, we're hearing all these like scary words is actually the labor market is wide open and the jobs report just came out and it actually was in the positive. It was better than what was expected. And so there's something powerful to say, yeah, it may not look just like what you were doing pre-pandemic uh, if you lost your job. And I think there's a level of grieving that, especially if it was something that you loved. Um, and, and to be, you know, to be sad about that. I think that's very appropriate to say, gosh, but then to say, okay, what can I do now? What skills do I have? What industries do I want to tap into? Because there is a shortage of labor. So that's the good thing right now is like people need work and they need people and they're paying higher wages are up. I mean, all of it. So there's still a silver lining that, yeah, even if your job and your career look completely different, um, there's still opportunity, which is a really, really positive thing. I'm sure as you've been on this journey of generosity and stewardship and personal finance, what um, what do you think has shifted for you? Like, because we're always growing, right? And we're always learning. Um, what is something that is more of a recent learning for you now as you've matured uh, versus maybe when you've started out helping people in this personal finance journey? Yeah. Um, you know, the generosity piece I've always loved. And that's one thing I'll give my parents credit for that. They really, they kind of, I mean, they made us give, like, there's no way around it. They were like, we're going to make you brush your teeth. We're going to make you do your homework. We're going to make you give like that is a muscle you have to learn in life to live with an open hand. And I am so thankful for that. Um, And so that's always been a part of my story, always something that I've loved, but I'm more of a, and I talk about in the book, but I'm more of a spontaneous giver. So I do, I get this like high and this joy of like, oh my gosh, I get to do this, this, and this. And this may sound terrible, so don't judge me. But honestly, over the last probably six years, because we have three kids and we're working, I mean, life is just nuts that a lot of our giving has become routine. We give to three different places, including our church. And it's like every month we just know how much comes out and it just comes out. We don't even see it. And it happens, which is great. I see it in my every dollar budget. So I'm like, okay, we're doing it. And and we want to. Um, But literally yesterday I was laying in bed and our neighborhood does this thing. And I've never participated just because we've been there two years and I can't remember. We weren't around last year, but they do a thing where they build backpacks for kids in the inner city of Nashville. So they send out this big group me of what we need. And y'all, I I was like, (gasps) And, you know, and I spent a few hundred dollars. It was nothing like absolutely insane, but I was on Amazon. I was like, you know, a hundred boxes of 25 color pencils. And, and I was just going through and I was like something in me reignited that joy. And again, it was something so spontaneous, so simple, but yet it reminded me, I'm like, this is the fun in it. Like this is so spending that gives me this moment of joy and knowing honestly that it, that it's impacting. I'm like, my kids, they're going to get school supplies. They're going to be fine. But as a mom, knowing that these other, what these other kids like that, that their parents, that it's a struggle. Life is such a struggle. And the smallest thing that we can do to help ease that transition, especially starting a new school year, like that's the easiest thing I can do. And that $300 was so much greater for me in that moment than if I just went on Amazon and was shopping for like bathing suits and sunglasses, which I do <laughs> very often. So it just was this beautiful reminder, Raza. I feel like that's what I learned is like these little joys that I get to participate in randomly still are there. And it just solidifies like 
It is. It's the most fun thing you can do with money. That's awesome. Rachel, I love it. And I'm sure our listeners could hear it in your voice, the excitement. Like you just lit up talking about that joy of giving. And it seems like one that connected back with some of your why, your heart to be a blessing to others, but also your heart as a mom. Like, hey, I know I have to buy school supplies for my kids, but oh my goodness, what if my kids couldn't have school supplies? And have an awesome witness to your kids too. I mean, mm-hmm. so we're we're parents as well. We of have three also kids. three kids. And um I know some of our listeners are parents as well, or grandparents, or kind of unofficial aunts and uncles. But you know, how can we pass um just kind of help our kids start to unpack their why and help them get a little deeper because Obviously, that you know, different ages can do different and personalities too. Different personalities. Yes. We have one kid that you give her money, she's like, "Oh, can I give it to so and so? Can I give it to another?" <laughs> yeah. Another kid that kind of comes along behind her, and somehow she ends up with the money that the first <laughs> gave away. I'm like, "What just happened there?" Oh, a hundred percent. Oh my gosh, you know, kids. It's so fun because I think as parents, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to do it right. Cause we want to, right. You're like, I want to send you out into the world and, and have done this and built this foundation for you. Um, so I think I would just tell parents, Hey, just breathe because honestly more is caught than taught. Mm. Your kids are watching you. And I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, my parents, we talked about money. Sure. But as kids watching them make decisions and they would bring us in on stuff of like, we really, you know, we had this like blue Astro van back in the nineties with like, cloth seats that had gum stuck. I mean, it was just this man. And I remember my mom saying, I want a Suburban so bad. I want a Suburban so bad, but we can't do it. And it's fine. We're going to drive the Astro van, uh, but I want a Suburban. So even like those moments of seeing, gosh, my mom, and I probably appreciate it more as an adult now, wanted something, but they didn't have the money for it. So they're not going to do it. And so you know, watching those examples play out, even something small at the grocery store, you know, bringing your kids into something and, hey, we're going to buy this instead of this because look at the look at the numbers, the price difference. I mean, those those tiny moments in life, I think, is what it, that sticks with them and starts to build that foundation. I think parents that create almost this unauthentic, like we're going to sit down every month mm-hmm. and have a have a money summit and we're going to walk through Roth IRAs, you know, the whole thing when they're four, I'm like, no, that stuff doesn't stick. Like watching your parents. And so parents out there, your example is huge. And then again, bringing them in and letting them have real life examples for themselves is big. And so we have a seven, four and two-year-old right now. And the seven-year-old, she's, she's my saver. I already know it. Like she's my saver. And we're not very legalistic with the money stuff. We probably should do a little bit better honestly, in our house. But she's like, I want more chores just yesterday. She's like, mom, if I clean the whole playroom, how much money will you pay me? Because I'm trying to save up $28 for this Barbie, like this whole thing. So we're talking about, I mean, it is a constant conversation, but for her, I'm like, okay, she's self-motivated. Like she is my four-year-old. Oh Lord. I'm like, who knows? She probably earned money and we don't even know where it is. Like she lost it. Like she it's just the thing and it's age and personality. But letting them have these real life examples of, okay, if you work, you get paid, not on every chore, but on some. And when you get that money, and we even had this conversation uh, two days ago with Amelia, our oldest, where I was like, okay, you're going to be giving some of this, Amelia. As a mom right now, I'm not going to dictate the amount. I could, but a part of me is like, I I want you to decide how much of this money that you're going to give, because you're going to give some of that and you're saving up for that, which is great. So like, that's a, that's a covered base. So I don't want a lot of 
legalism really in it. I want it to be very free and they'll make mistakes and learn and us have conversations and talk about it. Um, but it, it being part of life, I think is what's key. And again, living that example out as parents. It's encouraging and daunting at the same time, because yeah. that kind of goes back to more of that. Oh, I really need to unpack my own why. Um, Rachel, it's the Better Together podcast. So we always ask a Better Together question. And how can knowing our own why help us be better together in our relationships, whether it's with our spouse or our kids or those around us? Yeah, I think I think that why in marriage specifically gets you on the same team. And money can be so divisive because, again, we grew up in different households. We have different personalities and tendencies and so it's so easily, you know, it's so easy to say, well, we're different in this and that's going to create conflict versus saying, how can we unite in that? Why that shared why brings you together and works as a team. And then as a family unit, yeah, bringing your kids in on it, I think it's huge too, because you're all in it together. And it's like, Hey, we're, we're doing this not so that we can just, you know, get rich and like have all this stuff, but we're, we're doing this because we want peace in our home. We're doing this because we want your lives to be different as kids. Uh, we're doing this so we can be generous. We're doing this so we're not enslaved to the banks and credit cards and student loans anymore. Like th- these are our why. And that why is so much bigger than just stuff. And I'm not against stuff. We always say it's okay to have nice stuff, but don't let your nice stuff have you. And so it's a very fleeting thing. Again, it's great. Go buy some stuff. You know, I'm not mad at that. But if that's the, if that's the end game, it's it's a very empty end game. And so your why is even bigger and finding that why just elevates you and motivates you when things are hard. Well, where could one find the book, Know Yourself, Know Your Money? Like if we wanted to, if our uh, listeners want to go out and purchase it, where, where's a good site to do that? Yeah, you can do that at rachelcruz.com or anywhere books are sold. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Yeah, it'll be there. Well, I love it because this, I've not seen a book else out there that deals with the why of your money. And I think it's so true. As you were sharing, it just reminded me that it's getting it past the shoulds. We're like, oh, I should have a budget. I should save. I should give. And it's like, no, 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 no. Let's go back to the why. Let's unpack our underlying motives. And some of those deeper whys, like, yes, we want peace and Security, we want to be good stewards. We want to be able to be generous. And that's so much fun, the joy of giving. And so thank you for writing this book. And thank you for sharing with our listeners today, Rachel. It's been a joy to have you on the show. Oh, well, thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. I so appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, our pleasure. If this has inspired you, please share this podcast or subscribe, leave a review. And we would love uh, to be able to connect with you and go out and get Rachel's book, Um, we have a copy and we've been diving in and we look forward to hearing your thoughts and feedback as well. Remember until next time we are better together. God bless.